since its introduction in 2008 by Satoshi Nakamoto in support of the cryptocurrency Bitcoin, the promise of blockchain and distributed ledger technology has intrigued professionals from a wide array of verticals, from financial professionals to technologists, supply chain experts to engineers. I'm your host, Paul Teese, and in this episode of If When, I spoke with Dr. Sherman Vashemger, founder of Blockchain Hub, and Thomas Windling, Jacob's Community of Practice Leader for Distributed Ledger Technology. In the discussion that follows, we discussed how smart contracts, distributed ledgers, and tokens are being used in the engineering, architecture, and construction industries, what business and technology leaders should consider when investing in blockchain technology, and how blockchain can help promote the democratization of access to engineering knowledge. Dr. Sherman Vashemger is the founder of Blockchain Hub in Berlin and the Research Institute for Crypto Economics at the Vienna University of Economics. Author of the book Token Economy, How the Web3 Reinvents the Internet, Sherman has worked with several Web3-related projects during her career. She was a curator of the DAO, Decentralized Investment Fund, and she was an advisor to several groups such as Jolicom, a Web3-based identity solution, Wonder, specializing in tokenized art solutions, and the Estonian e-residency program. Her educational background is business administration with a focus on information systems management from the Vienna University of Economics. Thomas Wendling is a systems engineer at Jacobs. An experienced engineer and actuary, he is responsible for technical and commercial aspects of water, wastewater, power, transportation, military, utilities, privatization, design, build, operate, and maintenance services in a variety of delivery methods and program management context. He also leads Jacob's community of practice of 120 members dedicated to distributed ledger technology in the architecture, engineering, and construction industry. In 2016, he became an advisor to the Integrated Engineering Blockchain Consortium, a think tank composed of leaders from major organizations that provides thought leadership, best practices, and networking opportunities to professionals working in engineering and manufacturing. Prior to that, he was chief innovation officer of a startup called CoEngineers, a blockchain talent networking platform. Thank you both for joining. I'm really looking forward to our chat today. So to begin, I'm going to direct our first question to Sherman. You know, in looking at some of your, your current writings or most recent writings, I wanted to start with the question, can you provide a brief explanation of what digital tokens are and why it is more appropriate to refer to them as tokens than as the more widely known term cryptocurrencies? I always advocate to talk about tokens rather than currencies because currency or money is such a loaded term, right? And it's a political term and everyone has a different take on what money is. And while we're discussing whether it's money or not, we're not discussing what it is, right? (laughs) So why do I call them tokens? Because in the end, technically speaking, any of these, what we call cryptocurrencies are blockchain tokens or cryptographic tokens that are managed by some kind of distributed ledger. For me, tokens are to this Web3, this new generation internet powered by blockchains and other distributed ledgers, tokens are the killer app of this new Web3. Just as websites were to the first kind of version, uh, if you think back to the 90s, 
the first HTML websites, when HTML became a thing, when hypertext became a thing, because the internet existed long before the World Wide Web, but most people couldn't use the internet because they didn't have the, they couldn't operate command line interfaces to connect with other computers, which is what you had to do up until the early 90s. You needed to be able to operate you know, no computer language to be able to dial into a computer that was somewhere else. What a hypertext and the World Wide Web brought us was uh, the hypertext markup language was a standardized language and hypertext exchange protocol that allowed us to A, create and B, transmit visually appealing websites uh, with a few simple lines of code that any even non-programmer could easily learn. So anyone could create a visually appealing website and anyone could simply navigate the web clicking on links without command line interfaces. This was, so if we think of what websites were to the internet, this is what tokens are to this new internet, what many refer to as the web three. They are like the application, this simple and unique application of this new internet. Now, for those who remember the early 90s, while it was very, easy to create websites, we didn't know what to do with them. So many people would create a website and then the website would randomly say, hello world. <laughs> uh, just because people were very happy to create a website, but then they didn't know what to put on them. And the first, how to fill these websites. And the first websites were like meaningful were search engines, websites that helped you find other content on, online. And it took us around 10 years until we could figure out what to, like a website is not a website. I can use a website to create e-commerce site. I can use a, a website for social media purposes or for exchanging knowledge such as Wikipedia, et cetera, et cetera. So it took us a while until we learned how to use these websites and what to use them for. And we're at a very, very similar stage when it comes to tokens. Tokens are kind of electronic container of value that are collectively managed by a distributed ledger. And this distributed ledger, a blockchain network or similar distributed ledger is the backbone of this new internet. And it changes the way our data structures are wired and, and it allows us to collectively manage content. Now, these tokens can represent any type of value. They can represent an asset, uh, an access right, like a ticket to a concert, they could represent for example, uh, a barrel of oil, or they could represent, uh, re represent download of a song or streaming of a song, et cetera, et cetera. They could also be used to incentivize collective action, such as uh, collectively maintaining a distributed ledger, as Bitcoin does. It collectively incentivizes the co-creation of a peer-to-peer -peer payment network. And if you contribute to network security, you get rewarded with a token. You could also program these tokens to, for example, create incentives for saving CO2 emission. And I think we might get back into that later. So tokens are to the Web3, what websites were to the first version of our internet. Let me ask you, Thomas, so how do you see smart contracts and distributed ledgers and tokens being used in the engineering, architecture, and construction industries? Well, I mean, there are many different current initiatives underway by uh, small uh, entrepreneurs, by large companies such as IBM and Salesforce, 
And uh, I really believe that, uh, you know, as Sherman suggested that, uh, or she strongly believes that tokens are the killer app, I believe tokens have incredible power, especially startup power of any kind of use case. I think that uh, tokens can serve as sort of nucleation points for value, that if something is being collectively done in this shared commons, if you will, and this is, again, Sherman, I apologize. I'm an engineer, you're an economist, and this is definitely an economics term. The idea of, a, of creating a shared commons together and each individual who participates actually having an incentive to build something which then creates value for the community, uh, tokens have an incredibly important role in that. But let me just talk about some of the more conventional applications within engineering, architecture, construction, within AEC, what has actually been discussed. So obviously, um, there is a supply chain for construction. We already talked about construction materials. You know, you can, tracing a, you can trace a manufactured good construction materials all the way to its source with immutable records that can't be changed. Uh, everyone's got a copy of the contracts in the project and they can see all the changes that have been made simultaneously. I kind of believe though that unless you're creating a shared commons where everyone can benefit and contribute together, such as the maintenance of uh, something like Bitcoin, you're not really creating a convincing case for blockchain or distributed ledger technology. A lot of those things can be done with conventional databases. If you look at IBM and Maersk's joint venture, TradeLens, that's a perfect example of something that could probably have been executed using conventional database technology. You don't really need the blockchain. I know there, that's you, a controversial. You, I, I have a question here. So yeah. just to understand it and probably also for the audience. Uh, can you explain what the use case, so what is that exactly? Because this is an infrastructure for what and who can uh, use it? The, the IBM Maersk joint venture or yeah. are you talking about yeah, the yeah. use so of blockchain? So what's the purpose? Because well, you're saying that you built something this with this joint venture, you built something and this could have been done on a regular database. Right. But yeah. what did you build? Well, the cost of shipping a container is... Um, almost involves as much costly paperwork as the actual shipping costs themselves. And somebody realized a long time ago, if you can centralize all the data that's involved, everything that's involved with the, uh, the, the paperwork in letters of credit and bills of lading, ports, shipping companies, if you can centralize all that data today and automate it through smart contracts, that you can streamline that process and really reduce the cost of intermodal transfer. This is actually an IBM project. It's not one that we've done. And they joint venture with Maersk, and now all the major shipping lines are working with them. And I believe, honestly, that the idea of centralizing data uh, without, without any tokens involved and without any actual participation of everyone, they've got a few major participants. Uh, I don't think they've really created the shared commons yet that could have actually been done just on a conventional database. Okay, so and then as a follow-up to that, when we were preparing for our discussion, you had mentioned the concept of uh, the democratization of access to engineering knowledge. Right. And so what did you mean by that, and how do you, what are the benefits of using blockchain for such, and how do you see that working? I'm interested in, in hearing Sherman's comments on, on this idea, but I think that knowledge is actually the, the central operational paradigm of a company of a professional services company, such as Jacobs Engineering, and all of our competitors, uh, we basically source and supply knowledge on behalf of our clients. We own that interface between the knowledge and our clients, but presently we, are, we have our, our workforce, we know where everything is through knowledge inventory. 
on the other hand, if you could use uh, sort of like statistical neural machine learning to actually locate where the knowledge is, knowledge is not a, something you can just put in a shelf and, or classify it like a Dewey Decimal System. It can be viewed from uh, a very highly dimensional perspective and you can find talent that doesn't even have a name for it. Now, if you, if you expand your source of knowledge to not just the, our 55,000 employees, but if you were able to go out and, and reach out to globally to everyone that's out there, if you look at a, uh, a talent network such as Upwork that has 14 million members today, they are very interesting. If they learn how to coordinate their talent a little bit better using AI, for example, they would be a formidable threat to any company such as Jacob, such as AECOM, such as Accenture, or any uh, knowledge work uh, company. And that's something that uh, I think that it's, it's a threat, but it's also an opportunity at the same time. If we can actually learn how to source and supply talent from outside of our company uh, borders, and then curate it, as uh, Sherman uses in her book, that term curation of, of content, and, uh, and then actually tokenize that as an asset, as Sherman is suggesting as well. Um, I think you've got a utility token that incorporates an enormous kind of value. I think knowledge is the value of the future. And this is all in the context of blockchain being a platform technology with uh, shared assets, mm -hmm. um, people being incentivized together to create this, not the body of knowledge itself, but the coordination and the articulation of that body of knowledge. And we've discussed various research projects with IBM, Jacobs has, and uh, with Salesforce that uh, I hope we can follow through on. Mm -hmm. Okay, so and then on that thought, and, and we mentioned uh, Sherman's book. So in your book, uh, Sherman, Token Economy, you write, tokens can also incentivize an autonomous group of people to individually contribute to a collective goal. These tokens are created upon proof of a certain behavior. How might digital tokens be used in such cases, you know, for instance, in sustainability efforts? When we talk about blockchain or cryptocurrencies, it's like we reduce uh, this uh, phenomenon like Bitcoin or blockchain, we re always reduce it to one layer. Uh, I think it, this is very important to understand before we continue the discussions. Very often people talk about Bitcoin, they reduce Bitcoin to the token. Or they say, no, 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 we're building blockchain networks or something like that. And then they re reduce it to the infrastructure. But Bitcoin is a three things. It's a physical network of people who run, operate computers that collectively manage a distributed a ledger, like uh, the same, they collectively manage one copy of the ledger. That's the universal state everyone refers to, right? And how do we incentivize people who don't know each other, who don't trust each other, who live in different countries, who don't even speak the same language and have no legal contracts with each other to collectively do the right thing and verify transactions in the right way? We, or this is why, why Bitcoin was so revolutionary, for the first time an, a mechanism was introduced where nodes were incentivized to do the right thing uh, with a token with the native token of the network. In the case of Bitcoin, the native token of the network is Bitcoin. Now the token has some value on the market and this is like how the incentive mechanism works, right? I think Bitcoin is the first example of what I call a purpose-driven token, a token that co incentivizes collective action. And we can take this idea of 
Bitcoin's proof of work, the mechanism behind Bitcoin, and think about, oh, okay, so what is the purpose of Bitcoin? Is to have a peer-to-peer payment network. So the mechanism to incentivize truthful peer-to-peer transactions, like every node to validate transactions in the right manner, was designed in a way to reach that goal, right? So it was designed in a way that it was really economically not feasible to cheat the system. Now, if we could, for example, define a new goal, as you suggest, for example, sustainability, uh, we could say that, okay, we want to, for example, in Vienna, which we actually did with the city of Vienna, we would like to reduce the CO2 emission overall, so the CO2 emission of all people in Vienna. So we designed a token, or the city of Vienna uh, set out to design a token that reduces CO2 emission reduction. And we, uh, the Crypto Economics Institute where I work, uh, we helped them to do so. We were one of many institutions. So what did uh, the city of Vienna do? They designed a token that if you could prove with your uh, mobility behavior, so your iPhone would track or your mobile phone, you need to opt into a tracking to uh, the app to track your mobility behavior. And the app would recognize whether you took the car or drove the train uh, or uh, walked or maybe took the bicycle. And if you had a positive CO2 footprint and there is public data out there on how much uh, CO2 you save if you don't drive the car but walk. And so it can be based on your CO2 behavior. We can see how much CO2 emission was reduced. And for each kilogram of CO2 emission reduction, you would get a token. And this token could be spent for cultural activities in the city of Vienna. This is a project that the city of Vienna started and it was conceptualized over more than a year the uh, myriad of legal and economic questions and also technical questions uh, uh, were difficult. And then we started with a prototype that were launched just before coronavirus. And now the project was stopped, unfortunately. But this is, for example, a way how we can incentivize collective action towards a public good with a token. Now, tokens don't necessarily have to be blockchain tokens, right? Mm -hmm. We can issue a piece of paper or a QR code that is managed by a server. Why would it make sense to do that on a public infrastructure? Because in the city, you probably don't want the city of Vienna to have to track all the private data of their citizens. So it would probably make sense, plus all the institutions, the cultural institutions that were giving out these cultural incentives, they were independent economic entities. They were not part of the city of Vienna. The theater and the opera house are separate economic entities. Uh, you could set up a system where everyone runs a node in the network. So we collectively manage the tokens in that CO2 token economy, which uh, generates overall more trust. However, uh, questions of data privacy here are very prevalent and they're not, it's quite a complex techno-legal question to resolve. And uh, that was exactly part of one of the research questions that we were trying to resolve together with the university, Technical University of Vienna and some lawyers, how to set up a pri- this system in a privacy-preserving manner. Okay. And Thomas, this, this next question is piggybacking off of that. You know, I was looking at Gartner Research's, uh, the recent top 10 strategic tech trends for 2020, and they talk about blockchain. And 
the quote from the, uh, the research, they say in the future, true blockchain or blockchain complete will have the potential to transform industries and eventually the economy as complementary technologies such as AI and the IoT begin to integrate alongside blockchain. And one of the interesting examples, interesting to me anyway, that they give is the idea of autonomous vehicles negotiating with insurance companies as they're picking up data, like as they're interacting with their environment and the sensors are picking up data, they're actually then negotiating insurance rates, I think, in real time with insurance companies. So the question for you, Thomas, is along those lines, and it's along the lines of smart city development. So with the proliferation of emerging tech, such as digital twins and the internet of things, and those are playing into smart city development, how do you see you know, blockchains and distributed ledgers interweaving in those efforts? Yeah, well, you, you, mentioned, uh, you mentioned smart cities specifically, and you talked about traffic and IoT and insurance companies. And I, I think it's interesting when you look at cities, uh, when you think of smart cities, you tend to think of large cities, especially that are undertaking these initiatives. But it doesn't necessarily have to be. There are about 20,000 uh, local governments, municipalities, just in the United States. And most of them are, they're very small. They are, they are owners of very similar kinds of infrastructure, stoplights, roads, water treatment, wastewater treatment plants, uh, underground piping, fiber optics, you name it. Uh, it's all very similar. And all of this, um, as far as Internet of Things, doesn't always involve sensors either. Data on physical assets can come in many different forms. They can come in the forms of, uh, for example, an engineer or a maintenance technician providing a certain qualitative appraisal, or like a condition assessment of, of a pump, for example. And I think that blockchain uh, offers a great opportunity to coordinate and sort of harness all of this big data in one place. And that can be incentivized also by tokens, as long as there's a demonstrable economic value back to the municipalities that are participating in this collective commons. And I think that uh, we've looked at several different initiatives that are going on out there. Uh, and even uh, distributed power generation could fall into the category of what you're, what you're opening up here. It's, it's not something everyone takes seriously. But you do have to take it seriously. For a lot of people, it's a sustainability question. They believe that distributed power, wind and solar, and you can use blockchain to control through smart contracts, the entire billing, decentralized billing of a really a collective organization of people who generate power in a much more distributed and re-intermediated way. If you have a micro turbine in your tool shed and you're generating electricity and you want to feed that into the grid, uh, you can use blockchain to automate the entire billing to and from the community. So that's something that is, is a possible role for blockchain that uh, some, of, you know, some of our competitors especially have been investigating. Smart cities, though, one big obstacle is will they really want to share that kind of data, traffic pattern data, condition assessment data on micro turbines and pumps and and that is a big that's a real obstacle and the idea is again to show the demonstrable uh, economic value back to them by participating as individuals so that they know they have the rational incentives to populate this kind of a a ledger with this type of iot data you both have hit on something which is and and sherman you you're you're really looking at it in the lens of like businesses and Thomas, I think you're hitting on it in the terms of governments, but 
it seems to me that the unspoken facet of what's going to be successful here is the embrace of transparency, right? So it's like yes. the, so Sherman, I was going to ask you so, about that, about investing in blockchain technology. What are some of the key lessons? Like, do you think that business and tech leaders need to look at, and maybe I'm kind of leading the witness here with okay. transparency, but you know, what, do you, what do you see in, the, in that regard? Well, I mean, transparency, uh, that's the whole point of a public ledger is that everyone has access to the same set of data, which is what we refer to as universal state, which allows us to have a timestamp, publicly verifiable, give out publicly verifiable certificates when it comes to, for example, supply chain transparency, have publicly verifiable transactions of who did what and when. And we're collectively maintaining that. Now, what both of us have been talking about is if we can use tokens as some kind of, they're like, uh, we can tokenize assets and, and money, but we can also use tokens to give out qualifiers for actions in the network. We can create, for example, reputation systems where we tokenize, for example, someone's uh, social media behavior in a social network. We can, uh, we can A, incentivize uh, contributions to a social network, but we can also find a, a kind of use tokens for more individualized qualifiers about the reputation of someone, whether someone spreads fake news or not, for example, could be resolved with a token system but that needs, such reputation systems need to be designed. But for the first time, we have a meaningful way to collectively incentivize or give out these tokens and manage these tokens that they don't represent a value that can be traded, but they represent a reputation. So tokens can represent this reputation. Tokens can be mined upon proof of certain behavior in a network, like contributions to a social network. As you will read in my book, Steemit, for example, the uh, example of Steemit. But tokens could re represent access and asset, assets and access rights, as previously mentioned in the very beginning. So I think what is very important is that as an investor, if you want to invest into this technology, first of all, you need to really understand what it's about. And I find that most people struggle with that, which was one of the reasons why I set out to write this book, Token Economy. Because in the book, I try to provide the foundations of how Bitcoin works. And you really need to understand how Bitcoin works. Because unless you don't, you don't understand. So you do need to understand the various layers of what this Web3 provides. It completely changes the data structure in the back end of how the internet is wired. It requires also uh, identity systems where uh, I can manage my personal data more with my own wallet. We call it user-centric identities. I didn't have a chapter on that in uh, the first edition in my book of my book, but I'm currently writing the second edition of my book, and there will be a chapter of identities there. And I think this is also very relevant to uh, the examples that have been mentioned around distributed ledgers and transparency along supply chains, because this is where you also need meaningful, personal, user-centric identity systems. Unfortunately, the answer is education. <laughs> so any investor, 
anyone, whether it's, it's a company or a private investor, is highly advised to really understand what blockchain is about or what distributed ledgers are, why it changes the data structures in the back end of the internet, and they need to understand what identity systems are, and they need to understand the various types of token use cases, from asset tokens to access right tokens to identity tokens to incentive tokens. And once you've understood this, you, have, you now have a basis to make wise investment decisions. And until you don't, it's like going and playing. Investment is always a casino game, you know? <laughs> you operate with more or less knowledge, but you can choose whether you play poker or you play, uh, what is it called, when you choose a random number? Uh, oh, like roulette, the roulette wheel? Roulette. <laughs> so roulette is pure luck and maybe odds, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. But poker, you need to understand the rules to the game. You have certain information that is disclosed and you have certain information that is non-disclosed. And you have to understand what your position is and, you know, and what the timing is. So you have to quantify what you know and not know and protect your downside. This is what you always do in investment. But if you have no knowledge and understanding about what distributed ledgers are, what the different use cases are, why identity is an issue, and how cryptography works, and why the wallet is kind of the most important link to everything, unless you don't understand all these things, you're always, you're playing roulette. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I think it sounds like education is is a key component in doing some of my own armchair research into uh, kind of where blockchain is going. These next couple of questions are, I'm going to ask both of you are, are kind of looking into the near term. But Deloitte, for instance, in their they just uh, their 2019 global blockchain survey, you know, I found it interesting. It said most respondents said that blockchain had become a top five strategic priority for their organization. They see it as broadly scalable that in the next couple of years it will achieve mainstream adoption and that they'll lose a competitive advantage if they don't adopt it. So I think, you know, Sherman, to your point, I think there's going to be a greater emphasis in decision makers and investors and whatnot really trying to like dive into this deeper and understand it better. Uh, I think they get that blockchain, there's, it, there's something there that is appealing, but maybe they just, maybe to your point, they just don't quite understand yet how to leverage it. So my first question I'm going to direct here is for Thomas. It's how do you see blockchain technology, distributed ledger technology, can be used here in the near term in the replacement of aging infrastructure. You know, obviously, we're, we're, there's yeah. a lot of talk about infrastructure these days with the pandemic and whatnot. Right. But especially when you have both governmental and private industry players involved and transparency and trust is a little, you know, maybe a little wanting. So how do you, how do you see that playing, yeah. playing out? Well, you know, there's a, a big issue in, um, in funding and, and financing of aging infrastructure renewal. A lot of people are focused on big mega projects. There seems to be a bias in that direction, especially with public-private partnerships, always towards big mega projects, when in fact, our existing infrastructure, there's a much larger inventory of that, and it's decaying, it's older, and it turns out there are many rational incentives people have to keep deferring the replacement of, of, of equipment, of capital equipment. It's, it's kind of interesting that blockchain may actually offer a way of corralling and bringing together the information kind of in an IoT model 
but not necessarily involving sensors, although it could, that uh, provides information on the obsolescence of existing equipment, such as pumps, blowers, gas turbines, vehicles. Uh, there are many vehicle fleets out there. And it turns out that by synchronizing the replacement of that equipment, it's one of the most expensive decisions that you can do in the life cycle of uh, ongoing infrastructure that uh, if you time it more correctly uh, with the natural sort of cycle of obsolescence, kind of like Moore's law, but for which applies to uh, information uh, technology and, and equipment, hardware mostly, but you can apply that to almost any other kind of physical asset. And it turns out that uh, blockchain may actually be able to provide sort of the actuarial data on the obsolescence of vast fleets of physical assets that are out there and may provide a more direct a method for institutional investors, such as uh, pension funds, for example, to invest directly into the replacement of equipment, rather than working through private equity firms to corral a lot of this institutional funds for mega projects, big giant mega projects. So blockchain does provide possibly sort of the missing link for corralling the actuarial data that's out there, lowering the life cycle costs for owners of infrastructure, you can even use greenhouse gases as an explicit cost of obsolescence that sort of triggers the replacement of an obsolete piece of equipment. So blockchain in many ways might be sort of that technology that, uh, that provides the sort of the database of the actuarial data for which engineers and, and people in the field, municipalities, would be rewarded. I think what we don't speak enough about is that IoT is what is IoT, it's the internet of things. It's basically, it's not a new internet. It's just like extending the, the nodes to the machines to other less intelligent maybe machines in the network, right? Like the toaster yeah. and the fridge and some more or less intelligent or electronic devices and uh, electric grids, right? So what, yeah. and now the combination of what we refer to as internet of things, all these objects out there that are more and more connected to the internet very often they are not very intelligent and especially they one of the problems seems to be that they cannot be addressed they don't have proper kind of identity or uh, they are not also very smart and autonomous and we're like working on multiple fronts to a connecting them to the internet making them smarter with like mini computers and now we can also connect them to this new internet, like kind of give them each IoT device could be tagged with a crypto accelerator, which is like kind of a, it's like in the size of a sticker. It can provide each device with a digital identity. Uh, and I think you talked about this probably in your digital twin session. <laughs> and I think once blockchain and the web three becomes more, it's still like this niche thing. Uh, once it becomes more well adopted, and this will take a few years, we can have not only smarter devices, but also autonomous economic agents. These devices could become autonomous economic agents. So I, I don't know what you, Thomas, think about that, but I think this merging yeah. of the internet of things, smart devices, and making them also autonomous economic agents where each device has their own crypto wallet, they can send and receive tokens. A faucet could become like uh, the provider of the water and I could pay the faucet directly instead of the waterworks, for example. So I think it is still very hard for us to phantom 
all the innovation that can spur from not only blockchain networks, but the integration of, and I, I really like your examples that you brought, the integration of things that we already have, like we already have the internet, we already are connecting devices to the internet, we already have machine learning algorithms. And now when you would combine AI and IoT and blockchain, this is, I think, where a lot of innovation can come at the intersection of these, all these emerging technologies. Yeah, it's, it's all, it's very fascinating. I mean, the idea of devices having their own wallets and exchanging currencies for information, I, that to me is a little bit beyond, I consider myself a futurist, but I think even that goes beyond the horizon that I can, I can see with my binoculars. But I think it's like the interesting thing is, is it's and what we're discovering is like these technologies don't develop in a vacuum, right? Like blockchain isn't exactly. just developing, but there's also artificial intelligence and IoT and data analytics and geospatial science and all these things are emerging together and they're feeding off of each other and they're synergizing with each other. And so, yes. Go ahead. Many smart contract use cases, many token use cases will not be feasible without AI, right? If you look at, for example, the example that I bring in the book around uh, the basic attention token, right? Tokenizing attention and revolutionizing the ad industry. This only works with AI, but uh, what the basic attention token is doing, it's like it's giving power back to the consumer and my private data is managed by my wallet. So it doesn't sit on someone's server. But this data, uh, based on that data, algorithms will still determine based on my personal user behavior, which ad might be relevant for me, right? So ads will be delivered based on my personal behavior, but the data now sits in my wallet and I control my data, not, not Facebook or, I don't know, my bank, right? Mm -hmm. So obviously a lot of these use cases of smart contracts and blockchains and, and, and they will only be feasible in the intersection of algorithms with smart contracts auto enforceable code with the connection of uh, devices that mm -hmm. have sensors that give me the information of what is happening along the supply chain of goods and services if we talk about supply chain provenance and transparency allow you know Distributed ledgers alone won't be able to give us that solution. We need to tag the objects. Uh, for an example, for example, we're very abstract here. Talking about supply chain transparency as a tangible use case for a blockchain networks. Well, how can I have the transparency of what happened with the orange along the supply chain? Today, I have the possibility to tag the orange with a small sticker that comes with a crypto accelerator and a sensor that monitors whether the in German, we say Kühlkette, whether the uh, temperature, uh, how, how, uh, what the, the, the provenance of the temperature of that orange was. So for the orange, that might not be important information, but for any food that has been frozen, it's a very important information to know whether this, the freezing chain or the cooling chain has been broken, because then the food has become bad, right? Mm -hmm. So we can tag the objects with a sensor that will give me information about that object and what happened with that object. So I think when we go into the nitty gritty details about these use cases, we see that it's always a fusion of these technologies. So it's not talking about like, you know, 
what are the next interesting you know technologies to invest in it's all of them it's a combination of blockchain mm -hmm. and ai and it's not the competition of ai with internet of things with blockchain but rather the combination right right they're they're going to all work in concert with each other and they're going to accelerate each other then you get into like some very interesting discussions like technological singularities and and all of that the monetization of our own personal data you know as an offshoot of gdpr and things like that so I want to thank you both for joining me today and talking about this. You know, there's, there's so many different avenues of discussion that we could have around blockchain and distributed ledger. So I really appreciate you both taking the time to do this. Thank you so much.